Amen. Okay, so as we're starting, I just want to remind you, as we do every week, that at RUF we believe you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Uh, And we say that every week because there's this fundamental tendency in the human heart to think that we relate to God based on what we do. Um, And so that means that if we're doing well, we might be tempted to think that God's like lucky to have us, and that's why you know, we're in relationship with God because we're doing so well. But when we're doing poorly, we might be tempted to think that God doesn't want anything to do with us. Uh, and we say this every week because we want to remind you that grace is the way that we relate to God, that we relate to God based on the kindness of Jesus completely. That's how you become a Christian. You trust in Jesus' name. And that's how you stay a Christian. You trust in Jesus' name. And every semester in RUF, uh, we go through a sermon series. Uh, this semester, we've been going through one in the Apostles' Creed called A Better Story. And so the Apostles' Creed is just a summary of the Christian faith um, from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, very early church document. Um, And kind of our contention has been that uh, the Apostles' Creed tells a better story. It's a story that accounts for our glory and our shame. It's a story that enables us to live lives with resilience in the present, and it gives us a sure hope for the future. And we've made it pretty far through the Creed. Uh, We are coming to kind of the last section of the creed that begins with these words, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, So I don't know if you've seen the the Harry Potter movies or read the books. I know some of you haven't. Some people aren't into them, which I can't begin to understand. Um, So I'm going to give you a massive spoiler. You should have seen it by now, so I don't really feel bad about it. Um, But throughout the entire, especially let's just focus on the movies, throughout the entire movies, Uh, Severus Snape, Professor Snape, is kind of set up to be this bad guy. Uh, He's a bad guy. He's supposed to be Harry's, like, number one enemy. Um, You're supposed to kind of be suspicious that that maybe he is uh, working with Voldemort. Um, But then at the end, there's this scene. uh, There's this scene in the last book where it's revealed that Snape, even though he looked, like, really scary, even though it looks like he was a bad guy, was actually a good guy. Um, He was the guy who was kind of pulling things behind the scenes. He was making sure that Harry was going to be okay. Uh, He became revealed kind of as this hero in the shadows. And so it kind of made you rethink the entire story of like when you thought Snape was a bad guy, he was actually being a good guy. He was actually doing things. He was pulling strings behind closed doors. And that's a little bit what it feels like to kind of come to this point in the creed and to see the Holy Spirit talked about. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not exactly a, uh, a topic uh, that Christians talk about a ton. Some, some Christians do, um, but I would say for most of us, probably uh, the Holy Spirit is kind of just the tag on to the triune God. You've got the Father, who we're somewhat comfortable with, Jesus, who we love, and the Holy Spirit, who's just kind of weird. We don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit an it? Is it a he? Like, what do we do with the Holy Spirit Um, But when we come to the creed, we actually see that the Holy Spirit kind of functions something like Snape, as the hero in the shadows. At every major point in the creed, you have the Holy Spirit's action. Uh, The Spirit is present at creation. The Spirit is present at the incarnation. The Spirit is present as the word itself is being written down. The Spirit is present uh, in Jesus' resurrection. The Spirit is present in every single aspect of this better story that we've been talking through. So Christian theology confesses that God is Trinity. It confesses that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, but, so what do we do with the Holy Spirit? 
I remember when I was a uh, when I was in college, there was a popular like pastor kind of theologian who wrote a book called The Forgotten God, and it was about the Holy Spirit. And so I think there are many of us in the room who the, the Holy Spirit is kind of forgotten. We don't really know what to do with it. But some of us maybe were raised in traditions where the Holy Spirit is like everywhere doing, you know, miraculous things. The Holy Spirit is, is the one who is talked about the most. Um, so regardless of what your background is, maybe you don't fit in with any of that. And you're like, I honestly have never really thought of the Holy Spirit. What I want to do tonight is just consider what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. just want to consider what the Bible says and you can see on your handout, which I'm still in awe of the fact that we have a handout. You know, I'm just really proud of us, guys. We have a handout. Um, so we're going to be looking at kind of two questions here. First, who is the Spirit? Second, what does the Spirit do? And then there's going to be a sub-question that we're going to end with, which is basically, how do I know if I have the Spirit? So who is the Spirit? What does the Spirit do? And how do I know if I have the Spirit? All right, so first, let's consider who is the Spirit? So in this passage uh, that Maggie read for us, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And the context of it is that he has told them that he is going away. He's told them that he's going away, and the disciples are kind of freaking out. They're panicking a little bit. But he says in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So to comfort these disciples, after he said something that's really scary, he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I just want us to see two things about the Holy Spirit here. So first, I want us to see the Spirit is God, and second, the Spirit is the Helper. So the Spirit is God, and the Spirit is the Helper. So the Spirit is God. Um, the Holy Spirit in this passage is referred to as the Spirit of Truth, and then it says later in the verse that, that he is another Helper, another Helper. And I just want to focus in on that word, another, in there. Um, this, this might seem like a minor point, but it actually has a lot of significance. So when Jesus says that another helper is going to be sent to them, referring to the Holy Spirit, there are two words for another in the New Testament, okay? I'll try and make sure that I can make this as clear as possible. So uh, there's one word. Um, so imagine that you kind of have uh, two apples. So if you have like a Jonathan apple and then you uh, get like a Golden Delicious apple. You could say that the Golden Delicious is another apple, even though it's a different type of apple, right? You tracking with me? There's two apples, they're just slightly different kinds. Another way is you could have a Golden Delicious apple and you could have another Golden Delicious apple. So one is that it's just kind of broadly the same thing, but there's some differences. And the other one is that they are the exact same thing with no differences. So the word that's used here is the second one. The word that's used here is the second one. So can you imagine how comforting that would be for Jesus' disciples, for him to say that there is another helper coming, one who is exactly like me. And what Jesus is saying there is that the Holy Spirit is every bit as much God as I am. Jesus is telling them that the Spirit is God. And he kind of unpacks this more in verse 17. He says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, how can he say that they know him? How can he say that the Spirit dwells with them? He's referring to himself. He's saying, I dwell with you right now, so you know the Spirit, because we're the same. We're both equally God. But the Spirit will not only dwell with them the way that Jesus did, uh, he is going to dwell in them. It's going to be the presence of God with them in a new way. So the Spirit is God, but second, I want to consider the Spirit is the helper. What does it mean 
that the Spirit is the helper. Uh, so the word there, you, you might have heard this word. Some translations actually leave it untranslated. They say instead of helper, they say paraclete. It's, a, it's just a, a Greek word, paraclete. And it literally means called to one side. It's saying that the Spirit is, is called to your side, is what is being said here. Uh, some translations say uh, that the Spirit is the comforter, the advocate, or then the one that I have here, the ESV, says that the Spirit is the helper. And so these are kind of a couple different ideas, but to kind of clear that up, in Jesus' day, this word paraclete would have been used to refer to like a legal counselor. It would have been used to refer to someone who would represent you in a legal matter, someone who would come beside you, kind of put their arm around you, and they would advocate for you. They would tell you what to do. They would encourage you. They would advise you. And so Jesus is saying this is how the Spirit helps. The, the Spirit helps by dwelling inside of you and telling you who you are, telling you what to do, and defending you. So to put this together, the Spirit is God who comes to help us by dwelling inside us. The Spirit is God who comes to help us by dwelling inside us. But second, what does the Spirit do? What does the Spirit do? Uh, another way of saying this is kind of how does the Spirit help us? If the Spirit here is described as the helper, what sort of help does the Spirit give us? Uh, first, I just want to point out the Spirit empowers us to obey God's word. The Spirit empowers us to obey God's word. Uh, maybe as Maggie was reading, you noticed the repetition uh, of this idea of keeping the commandments of God. It says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then the same idea is repeated four times throughout this passage. There's this emphasis that Jesus is giving to his disciples that if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to keep my word. You're going to keep them all. And so he says this a bunch of times, and I think the point that he's making is that the Spirit is going to help us in regard to this. The Spirit helps us by empowering us to keep the commands of Jesus, by empowering us to actually hear and to do God's word. Uh, the Spirit actually, maybe you've heard, I, so I don't know if you've ever had an interaction with someone like this. There's, there are certain kind of Christian circles that inevitably show up on a college campus, I think, uh, where you're just like interacting with someone and they might come up to you and say something like, you know, man, the Spirit just told me to say this to you, right? Has anyone ever heard anything like that? That sort of thing can happen, and, and I don't want to encourage you at all to be cynical about that. But what I do want to encourage you to do is to consider, like, how do we know what the Spirit is doing? How do we think through that when someone comes and tells us, the Spirit told me to say this to you? Like, is the Spirit's work just, like, random just randomly showing up and like kind of telling people to say stuff? Or is the Spirit kind of pointed towards something? What we see in this passage and what we see throughout all of Scripture is that the Spirit works with the Word of God. The Spirit works in accord with the Word of God. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible for God's Word. Uh, the passage in 1 Peter, it says, the authors of Scripture spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if we want to be able to discern, like, what is the Spirit doing? Look at the Bible. The Bible tells us what the Spirit does. The Bible is written by the Spirit. So the work of the Spirit, it's not random. It's not random. It is, it is in a sense, unpredictable, but it's not random. It goes in accordance with the Word. So the Spirit moves us to become people who take the written Word of God seriously. 
so seriously that we become doers of the word, not just hearers. So, the Spirit empowers us to keep God's word, to obey God's word. But second, the Spirit applies the work of Jesus to our hearts. The Spirit applies the work of Jesus to our hearts. Uh, We see this in verse 25. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. And then verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So this is Jesus describing what the Spirit does. And what does he say? He says that the Spirit will teach you, will teach you all things, and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What is the Spirit doing? The Spirit is preaching Jesus. The Spirit is is teaching us about Jesus and bringing Jesus to bear on our lives. You see, this is the great work of the Holy Spirit. The great work of the Holy Spirit is applying the work of Jesus to the deepest places in our souls. Uh, So I had a a professor when I was in seminary, a guy named uh, Dr. Douglas, who was kind of renowned as a a wizard around the, the campus. The reason was he's this very old guy. He had planted something like 25 churches, uh, and he served at our seminary as kind of like the, uh, the guy who would tell you what your gifting was. He would sit down with you, ask you a bunch of questions, have you fill out all these personality things, and then he would just tell you things about yourself that were really weird. Like that, it's like, he should not be able to see me this way. Like it was very uncomfortable. And then at the end of the meeting, without fail, every single time, after he had seen you, after he had known you so well, he would tell every single person the exact same thing. He would say, you should plant a church. You should plant a church. He had just seen you, but like with his background, he loved church planning. And he wanted to talk anyone into being a church planner. So no matter who you were, he was going to say, you should plant a church. That is a good picture of what the Spirit does. That's a good picture of what the Spirit does. Uh, No matter the particulars of our situation, the Spirit is always focusing you on one thing. On one thing. The Spirit is focusing you on the person and work of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It is constantly bringing the person and work of Jesus to bear on our lives. And this is the Spirit's chief delight. It's to kind of massage the good news of Jesus into our hearts. And even as I say it that way, kind of massaging the good news of Jesus into our hearts, it might kind of sound like a spa day. Um, But I want to point out that this will not always feel good. It's not always going to feel good when the good news is kind of massaged into your heart. Um, If you're convinced that your value is in your performance... Or if you're convinced that, you know, something that God's word prohibits, that you can't live without it, it's going to be very, very painful for you when the Spirit is proclaiming the good news of Jesus to your heart. You see, the Spirit is the helper. But I I just want to point out, the Spirit is not the affirmer. The Spirit is the helper, not the affirmer. It doesn't mean that the Spirit won't affirm you from time to time, won't remind you of what is true, but it does mean that the Spirit has the right to confront you, has the right to tell you things you don't want to hear. And sometimes this looks like turning your world upside down. Sometimes this looks like taking away things that you really, really want. And why does this happen? This happens because the Holy Spirit is harsh on anything in our lives that gets in the way of receiving and resting in Jesus alone. 
The Holy Spirit is harsh on anything in our lives that gets in the way of receiving and resting in Jesus alone. All right, so in summary, let's just put this together. I think I have this down at the the bottom of your sheet, the little fill-in-the-blanks thing. Uh, So let's put it together. In summary, the Spirit is God who comes to help us by giving us life and applying the good news of Jesus to our hearts. So the Spirit is God who comes to help us by giving us life and applying the good news of Jesus to our hearts. So just real quickly, as we close, I I just want to ask the question, how do I know? Like, how do I know if the Spirit is at work in my life? How do I know? Um, I got two suggestions. Uh, First, you will know the Spirit is at work in your life if you experience increasing conviction of sin. You will know that the Spirit is at work in your life if you experience increasing conviction of sin. Uh, And what I mean by that is this. You will become more and more comfortable with owning the ways that you don't keep God's word. You'll become more and more comfortable with owning the ways that you sin. It means that you'll be able to talk about things like your anger, your rage. Like when a friend, you know, took something from you and you flipped out on them, you're going to be more and more comfortable talking to them about that. You'll be more and more comfortable talking about your lust, your jealousy. And you can do this without being crushed by shame. You can do this without being crushed by shame. And at the same time that you're going to be more and more comfortable kind of owning your sin, you're going to become more and more uncomfortable with passive disregard for God's word. You'll not view God's grace as an excuse to do whatever you want, but but as the New Testament tells us, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. God's kindness, God's grace is meant to lead us to actually taking his word more seriously, not less seriously. And so if you're experiencing this dynamic going on, it's a sign that the Spirit is at work. So you you will experience uh, an increasing uh, grief over sin, but secondly, you're going to experience increasing joy in Jesus. You're going to experience increasing joy in Jesus. Uh, Way to think about it. Um, You are going to begin, like as the Spirit is at work in your heart, preaching the good news to you, you are going to begin inch by inch, like within your own personality, to start to talk about Jesus the way that Husker fans talk about the 90s. Okay, like that, that level of excitement, that level of glory, Jesus is going to become beautiful to you. Uh, there's this tendency, I think, in um, Christian circles a lot of times, especially ones that are kind of all about theology, um, that we will talk a lot about Jesus Like, it's as if Jesus is an object that we're just, like, lifting up and looking at him. And, like, man, he's really great. That's cool. But it just doesn't sound like we've experienced anything. See, what the Holy Spirit does, it it, it takes Jesus from this place up here where we're just thinking about him, and it moves him here to the heart. It's like if you've ever heard someone kind of describe how honey tastes, you know, it's like, okay, you know, it's really sweet. It's great. But then you actually taste honey. That's what the Spirit does in us. The Spirit enables us to taste the honey. The Spirit enables us to talk about Jesus in a way that is exciting. It means that we're going to feel grief over our failures, but it's going to be a godly grief. We're going to feel a grief that doesn't lead us to hiding, that doesn't lead us to shame, but instead it leads us to other Christians. It leads us to, be, to become a community of forgiven misfits. So you will experience um, increasing 
uh, uncomfortable, sorry, I just want to say it exactly how I said it there, uh, you will experience increasing conviction of sin, and you will experience increasing joy in Jesus. And I just want to say as I'm closing, um, I'm sure there are some of you out there who, like myself, tend to be like spiritual perfectionists. And so when you hear things like, how do I know if I have the spirit? It really doesn't matter what I say. You're going to convince yourself that you don't. And I just want to say that, like, I don't think that's helpful. I want to suggest to you that the thing, the thing that I want you to come away with is to receive and rest in Jesus. That is the Spirit's chief delight, to encourage you to receive and to rest in Jesus. So I want you to listen to conviction, listen, listen to where you're at. It, it's completely possible that maybe you never have felt a legitimate conviction of sin. And it's completely possible that maybe you never have felt a legitimate joy in Jesus. And what I want to encourage you to do is if that's you, I want you to ask the Spirit to do that. Because that's the Spirit's delight, to give you conviction over sin, to give you joy in Jesus. And I would love to talk to you about that as well. So I'm going to pray for us real quick.